Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh, my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're going to love it. Hey, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest news shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations. My name is John Bowen, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, this isn't a repeat of last week, but we do have another British thriller and another great doco series to talk about this week. We do, a twisty doc and a drama killer series, don't we? But... No superstars, Kanye, but God, last week we talked about Kanye West documentary, which has just gone off. Yeah. So good. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, watch the Kanye documentary. But this week we're talking about Telemarketers, which is a super compelling three-part documentary series, all the things we love. A bit of like white collar crime, whistleblowing, nostalgic set in the early 2000s as well, which is really interesting. And then the British drama that you were talking about, the crime series, four-part series, The Catch. So should we get stuck into them? Yeah. How about we head to New Jersey first for telemarketers? Hey, what's Tell up? Where are we going into? Uh, we're going into Civic Development Group. And what we do is we call up people and chisel them out of money. Patrick and I both work at this telemarketing place. Oh, this this 14-year-old kid making calls on behalf of charities. I didn't think I was doing anything bad at all. Now, Lisa, these families, they do need your support. The business model is defrauding the most vulnerable in this country. It was a big-time scam. Executive produced by the Safdie brothers and Danny McBride, this brand-new HBO documentary series Telemarketers follows two former call centre employees determined to discover the truth behind the shady company they spent years working at. Ali, like you said, this touches on a lot of our favourite topics, but this one is not like any documentary I've seen before. I think the one thing I would tell people going into this is it's very guerrilla, or it started out life very guerrilla. These guys were literally just filming on camcorders in their office, and it's over more than a decade it's turned into this HBO doco. This reminded me so much of the early days of YouTube when I remember someone saying, hey, there's this thing called YouTube and we're at work. Yeah. And was like, why would you just want to watch like videos of nobodies? This show was almost made of that moment because it almost starts with them documenting their day-to-day jobs with camcorders and uploading shitty quality tapes onto YouTube. That Before everyone had before- cameras and phones and... And social networks and yeah. Or social media policies at work. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine the corporations like the things like the fact this stuff is even out there in the world is so amazing. But I did find myself watching this and thinking of the conversation you and I would have about it almost feels like you're watching the cuts of something before it gets made into a drama. Like yeah. I can totally see this getting made because at its core, telemarketers, we've all been hit up on them. I recommend you put yourself on the do not call register, which I did many years ago and has been life-changing. But even before some of the crackdowns we've had in Australia, this is ultimately an amazing whistleblower where dopey, dodgy videos actually end up becoming much more helpful. This looks at the very dodgy um, side of of telemarketing's intersection with fundraising. One of the examples they give you is, oh, imagine you're some sort of organization and you might raise $10,000 a year through all your like hard work and begging and stuff. These very shady companies will then come along and be like, hey, we'll give you $20,000 You don't have to try to raise money anymore. It's all good, blah, blah, blah. So it's a very sort of convincing sell for these organizations to get into. But then what you quickly discover is these companies might raise $200,000, but then only give $20,000 to the charity. So it's effectively a for-profit 
organization where they're shaking down vulnerable people over the phone. Basically, it's illegal. And then there's regulations that get introduced. And then they just change their behavior slightly to keep within sort of the confines of whatever the latest regulation is. And as this documentary unfolds, not only do you realize that the companies that are doing this sort of telemarketing are incredibly dodgy and enriching themselves enormously with the money they're making. But it almost gets to the point where the charities they're engaging with might also not even be that above board. And they're probably the kind of all just in it for a bit of a racket just to shake down people over the telephone. So two amazing takeaways I got out of this show were number one, the charities, to your point that they were ringing up and kind of appealing to it's set in New Jersey and they're using police and kind of like police unions as the police and firefighters and veterans like yeah the people that you love that represent your country that are brave and strong have died doing what they do and this is money that's going to the widow of policemen that passed away so kind of like a really broad way in to capture a whole lot of people and talking really specifically about people that had died that might have been in the news or whatever but the other amazing thing about this was you had no background checks and no qualifications required to get this job because the people that could do this either follow a script or just be really relentless in the number of calls that they have to make they were happy to be employed if they were making the sales so the company didn't have normal HR processes or hiring standards so you end up with a really And this is what's amazing about the YouTube videos and all the footage that you see. It's like a motley crew of people that find themselves working together and anything they needed to do to take the pressure off their job, as long as they were still making sales, they could kind of do whatever they wanted at work. So you've got drug deals going down, you've got people drinking on the good on the job, you've just got what ends up being like, I think a Motley Crue is kind of a nice way. Yeah, it's like like a a real ragtag group of people who the system... Become really good friends and they all kind of of help each other in a kind of weird way, don't they, get through the experience. And like, sadly, the system has failed them because, you know, if you're in jail or if you've, you know, got drug charges on you, you can't get employed anywhere, therefore you can't get a job and make a decent living. So then they end up doing these kind of dodgy jobs where they can get employed and make money, but then they meet other people like them. And they're either young, underage, come out of jail, yeah. not educated, but they are ultimately good salespeople and create quite a, well, if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street, where there's those <laughs> yeah, it tells, like making kind of dodgy, didn't you feel like yeah. that a couple of times, like where they've got the people throwing people and having parties, like it's pretty loose. Yeah. Um, it also feels like a snapshot of time. I think it was like 2008, kind of- 2010. So yeah, it was just before social media took off, just before smartphones took off. Yeah, it was a really interesting time. Also a time when people had landlines and, and picked up landline phone calls. I know. <laughs> I didn't have them in their names on call, do not to call. Yeah. But look, there's three episodes and this is HBO. They're going out weekly. We're fast tracking them from America. America. So at the time of you'll be listening to this, there'll be one episode up on Binge, but there's three in the series. But there's a big breakthrough at the end of the first episode where you really realize a bit of the twist of what's going on in this company. And then, but Ep 2 is just like, whoa, because you realize there's a lot more going on as well and a bit more sinister. And yeah, it goes from being just a telemarketer town into something yeah. much more interesting. I don't want to give it away. Am I? Oh, I don't, no, no, I don't just know. say say no more. But I will <laughs> say this could have been presented in a really different way. This could have been a traditional sit down, very polished, true crime sort of thing. What makes it so much more interesting for me is all this like firsthand footage of these guys who have spent decades at this place and have all this amazing footage. It also brings out some of the humor. At least initially, these two guys are just trying to make the doco themselves. And there's this almost like between two ferns moment where like one of them is trying to interview great reference is trying to interview this guy from like a charity regulator website kind of thing and it's just 
is this actually a parody? This guy is not meant to be on camera. He's not meant to be interviewing people, but they're just like doing their best to make this doco. So there's like this charming roguishness of it because even though these guys worked there and did bad things, they took money off of vulnerable people. They were just doing what they had to do to like make minimum wage. It was never on them. So yeah, it's just a really interesting way in. And then obviously, like I said in the intro- Sorry, just before, I know you said like they're just trying to make minimum wage. Because it is so much first person footage and you do follow them through- their days and it looks like a hard, difficult job, but they become personified so quickly because you're seeing so much vision of them that you're almost excusing what's going on. Totally. And at the same time, it's one of those things of like people are very quick to like say, you know, telemarket is a scum of the earth or whatever, but then it's like, well, this guy's wife is really sick and he can't get a job because of his criminal record. And there's all these yeah. things where you're like, you can kind of understand. Everyone's breaking bad. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like they ended up in this moment for a reason. And I guess the beauty of it is something very interesting has come out of it all with this mm-hmm. documentary. So yeah, like we said, there are three episodes. One episode is available for your stream right now. New apps are coming out each Monday and uh, all three will be available from August 28th on Binge. This is capitalism. Get money, 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 money. We need to show the world what this place really does. The media and the government haven't been able to stop them, so now it's up to us. We gotta take them down from the inside. Based on the TM Logan book of the same name, The Catch is a brand new UK psychological thriller following the repercussions of a daughter introducing her mysterious boyfriend to her family. I can't believe you want to do this. Anything I should avoid? Any dark family secrets? Like what? Every family has them, don't they? Ali, it's a tailor's oldest time. The <laughs> father who is very suspicious of the new boyfriend, the daughter who sees nothing wrong with him, and yeah, a lot of sort of ambiguity about who's right and wrong and what's happening. And some like sabotage happening as well. Yeah. Based on a book. Yeah. I've been reading up on this and I think quite controversially has quite a different ending to the book, which is interesting. But the kind of book that you would devour on a holiday, you'd pick it up at an airport, but you just plow through it because it's two or three really big twists happening. So there's a bit of a backstory to the dad, which comes through as the show is going on, which, as you said, kind of is a bit of part of the sabotage that's happening to his fishing business, a family tragedy that happened previously, and then the twist of this new boyfriend. So I instantly disliked him. I think he's been constant really well and he goes straight to playing the character. Yeah. You're like, he's so true faced, you know, he's just playing them all perfectly like a fiddle. But yeah, I liked it's set in Devon or somewhere nice on the British. Yeah, there's, there's there are some beautiful or something, isn't beautiful, it? beautiful scenes out on the water. It's interesting that you say you immediately didn't like him <laughs> because my opinion has changed over the course of it and obviously won't spoil things, but like there is a real tension between the dad being sort of an overbearing father and this new boyfriend trying to be nice and fit in kind of thing. Like, I think you can see both angles of why they're both in the wrong at different times. There's even a point in Ep 2 when I'm like, oh, is the dad the bad guy in this? It's like, I like the ambiguity. There was one thing I didn't pick up and then I was saying something to the television. I was like, no, no, he has done that. Yeah, Yeah, I was the same. I was really probably playing it like they wanted to. Oh, audience, I'm going to take you down this path and then twist you back like they do so well. But yeah, it's super twisty, super consumable and four Eps all dropped at once so you can binge away. Yeah. Probably the best known face, at least in the show, would be the lead, Jason Watkins. He played one of the prime ministers in The Crown. He was in Line of Duty. He's been in a million British things, but a very recognisable face. But yeah, the, the entire cast is, I think, really strong and a beautiful house that they live in as well, which I feel like always catches my eye. It turns out, I thought, we've spoken about this before on the pod, but 
About Time, you know, the mm-hmm. film About Time. I was like, I'm convinced mm-hmm. that's a house from About Time. It's not. No, no, no. So I Googled. The yeah. cats. It's all Art Deco. Isn't the About Time house? Yeah, no, it's all that. But there was an article about the house in the catch. So I was like, oh, it must, it must be like an important house. Turns out it's like a former prime minister or president's house or something. So Because it's right on the beach. Yeah. In that kind of salty rundown way of being right on the beach. That actually reminds me, I haven't watched About Time for ages. That's a great film. It is an excellent Isn't film. A great time travel film. I think also there's a show that came from the same guy last year that we talked about called The Holiday. Yes. And it felt like, yeah, you could tell it's got a similar sensibility. Yeah, it's um, that like almost enclosed environment. It's all taking place in this town, except for the bits on the boat. This author who wrote both the books for The Catch and The Holiday obviously likes to sort of throw together family dynamics into stressful moments. But yeah, if you like The Holiday, I think you will you will love The Catch. It, mm-hmm. it is only four eps and I think people will absolutely just blast through it all because there are so many twists in every episode and at the end of every episode that you're just going to want to know what the hell happened. So <laughs> all four episodes of The Catch are streaming for you from Friday on Binge. Ever since my brother died, he's been incredibly protective. Ed, she doesn't even know him. She knows she loves him. I've seen you like this before. Ryan Wilson is not who he says he is. It's pretty clear you don't like me, Ed, but I've fallen for your daughter, and I think it's important that we get along. John, we're at the part of the pod where we talk about our dinner party recommendations, those things that we're loving on Binge, might not be brand new, might not be headliners, but are totally worth your time. If you got another cool documentary for us, what are you going to tell I, us about? I don't week? have a cool documentary this week. I'm going off script by recommending an iconic early example of the golden age of TV before we hit whatever the platinum age of TV that we're in right now. But I am talking peak of... Peak pre-strike yes, TV. Yes, yeah. <laughs> post-peak TV. No, we just put up all 100 episodes of Nip Talk on Binge. Christian Troy, this is Sean McNamara. We're doctors. Tell me what you don't like about yourself. Cool, all of them at once. Yeah, so like I said, this was sort of like early prestige TV. It started in 2003 and ran until 2010. It really kind of put FX on the map in, in the US. So FX had sort of had The Shield as one of its first big breakout shows. And then the year after The Shield started, Nip Tuck started. Nip Tuck also, while it wasn't his first show, really put Ryan Murphy on the map, who is now like mm. the biggest TV producer in the world. Obviously went on to make Glee and American Horror Story and Pose and a bunch of other things. American Horror Story and Stories, we have all on Binge, of course. New ones coming soon, hopefully, when the strike's over. Yeah, but this is like a great example of a show that has a story across its all 100 episodes, but also does really great episodic storytelling as well. So obviously the conceit is they're these two handsome plastic surgeons in Miami. So every episode, there's sort of a plastic surgery story of the client of the week, but then they obviously have their uh, dramatic personal lives playing out in the background as well. So yeah, it's really easy watch, but it's also very gritty and confronting in that US cable way when everyone started to break off the shackles of, you know, sex and swearing and drugs and all the other fun stuff you could start doing on television, but also stars Australia's Julian McMahon and then also stars Jolly Richardson and (laughs) her mother, Vanessa Redgrave, is also in it. So it's got an amazing cast. It's really, it's just great storytelling. It's very watchable. And yes, one of those iconic series, kind of like Six Feet Under back in the day that I think a lot of people maybe saw bits of or, you know, was buried late night on television or whatever. But yeah, it's a great streaming show. It's great. It's great binge. And yeah, all one. Has anyone already watched all 100? 
It's only been up for a few days. So probably, probably someone has. <laughs> Thank you. Whoever yeah. has. Legend. We did look into this once to see like the quickest that someone had watched Friends. Someone watched all of Friends in like four or five days and that's like 200 apps. That's amazing. Okay, totally different from me. I'm going with um, a really cool new documentary called Meet Me in the Bathroom. Have you been hearing a bit about this, John? It's getting a bit of chatter. Yes. It's based on a recent book by rock music writer Lizzie Goodman, and it's all about the kind of rock revival scene in New York in the early 2000s. So you get lots of coverage of the bands that were big at the time. You've got the Strokes, Interpol, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. Morty Peaches, and it's covering the bands, a whole lot of drugs happening in the scene, but also being set in New York at the time. It really does also look at the impact of September 11th on the city, which is just another really interesting lens to the documentary. But I think a bit of the kind of rock drug culture is the wink and the nod to the title of Meet Me in the Bathroom. But we've talked a bit about things that are recently set. We talked a few weeks ago about a, a really good HBO documentary about a murderer that was killing people in New York City in the 80s. 90s and just when you're watching a city like New York that you've seen so many times on the screen but in recent memory and then you see how much it's changed I really liked that about this even the telemarketers which is only like 10 or 15 years old feels such a snapshot of life (laughs) it really is so I think look if you love music especially that kind of rock music even if you just like following that scene I think you can get a lot out of this which is why you've probably heard a few people talking about it meet me in the bathroom What's more important, good sound or a good time? Sounding good, having a good time. I remember thinking maybe New York isn't the kind of city anymore that produces iconic bands. The Strokes launched a fireball. Started playing New York a year ago, then tearing stuff up. This week on Skip Intro, we discussed telemarketers. We talked about the new UK drama The Catch. I recommended that you check out Nip Tuck. And Ali recommended the new documentary Meet Me in the Bathroom. All of these are streaming for you right now on Binge, which of course you can find on your favorite device. My name is John Baum, joined every week by Ali Herbert Byrne. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Christy Yates. And we'll be back next week with more Skip Intro. Listener.